At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers? Welcome to your one-stop shop for some of the deepest, most thought-provoking conversations on the internet. And trust me, today is one of those conversations with one of the deepest thinkers I've had on the show. But before we can dive into that, I'm proud to mention that Open Minds Media officially has a studio. No more mobile setup after seeing the show grow for this past year. And with your guys' help, the show can continue to grow. If you guys don't mind taking an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify, or if you don't mind taking an extra 30 seconds to review the show on iTunes, I definitely appreciate it. And it's going to help the show get seen by more people. And if you guys have any friends that you guys think might enjoy the show, then uh, share an episode with them. And if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, definitely recommend that you do so if you're trying to get updates and want to know when future episodes are coming out. And uh, you guys can also pop onto the Telegram or the Discord to uh, have some awesome conversations with some open-minded individuals and inquirers alike. And uh, if anybody is interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're an author, researcher, experiencer, contactee, philosopher, whistleblower, uh, any of the above, the, the list goes on and on. I definitely want to talk to you. So shoot me an email at inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can, of course, shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the one that I'm the most active on. Or you guys can go to the link tree and fill out the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And uh, of course, keep an eye out in your spam or drunk folder and make sure that my response doesn't get lost because I really want to talk to you guys. And uh, if you guys can't get enough of my work, you guys can always go and check out Bizarre Encounters if you aren't already. Orn and Jenny are always helping me over there and killing it on that show. And uh, it's expanding and it's becoming an awesome thing. And I really hope that you guys enjoy listening to the show just as much as I enjoy doing the show. And uh, if you guys want to be able to keep tabs on everything that I do all in one place, uh, I keep everything under Open Minds Media, as you could tell from the little jingle in the beginning of the show. Uh, Same for Bizarre Encounters. So if you guys want to go and check out Open Minds Media, it's your one-stop shop for everything that I do. 
And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. Number one, of course, is to become a Patreon member, uh, such as Brian and Brandy. There's multiple tiers, of course, so go and figure out which one suits you the best. There's ad-free listening, there's early access to episodes, there's live access to episodes, and of course, there's the live replays of episodes if you guys aren't able to make it to the live of the episode, which is the video format, of course, of the episode. And uh, there will be some exclusive giveaways in the future. And there's, of course, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, depending on which Patreon tier that you join. Uh, If you guys want to donate to the show, there's multiple ways to do so. You guys can do so through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. If you go all the way down the bottom of the show description, you'll see something along the lines of donate through Red Circle. Uh, Click that and go on there. And uh, if it doesn't give you an option to put a name or something with that, shoot me a message. Let me know that you guys donated through there. And of course, I want to give you guys a shout out on the show. Uh, and then the last way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, there you'll find Inquiries of Our Reality. Uh, you'll find Bizarre Encounters, uh, the Open Minds Media logo, uh, Bite Size Bizarreties, all the stuff that I do. I try to make it easy for you guys, put it all in one place. So if you guys are in the business of supporting some other creators, of course, uh, go and check out Joe at Crypto Theology. I know I mention him on every single show, but I really enjoy his work and I think you guys will too. So uh, do yourself a favor and go check it out. Everything that I've mentioned, all available down the link tree, which is uh, down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome back to the show for the third time, paranormal researcher, writer, and adventurer, Chaz the Dead. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Glad to uh, get into some weird stuff. It's always a pleasure, man. It's always an awesome conversation. We get into it. I like the way you think about stuff. I like how deep you do your research and uh, it always ends up being an awesome conversation. And, uh, you know, I've always heard good from the listeners. They always enjoy you coming on the show. So third time's a charm, man. You're the most returned guest on the show so far. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm going to keep coming back. (laughs) That's the hope, man. Coming on here. I think you always have a, a great perspective to, uh, to share on this research. Sometimes I go on some shows and I get the glaze over. I did one the other night and this is on me. I didn't do my research, but they were like kind of a Christian ghost hunting show. And so they had me on and I was talking about psychedelics and UFOs and <laughs> shit like that. And they were like, what is going on? But, uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad the audience. There's an audience out there that can uh, can accept what's going on here. <laughs> hey, man! Just like I call my media company, open minded. That's that's the way I got to roll when I come into any of these topics, man. No matter what background somebody be. comes from, you just got to hear it out exactly. and get into the flow of it, man. Exactly. So, uh, for anybody that may not have heard the first two episodes that you were on, uh, why don't you kind of give them a rough idea about who you are and what you do before we start getting into all the different weird stuff we're going to get into today. Yeah, so um, I go by Chaz of the Dead, but I like to explore the paranormal much beyond just the dead. Um, UFOs, cryptids, high strangeness, uh, anything, you know, really weird and bizarre. Um, alterations in our reality, if you will. And um, I've been writing and researching it for close to a decade now. Um, I've traveled to over 15 different countries volunteering, uh, doing volunteer projects and looking into the paranormal on the side, um, including uh, for the for my first book. We did an episode about that one in Chile. Um, and then my ro- most recent book, there's another episode about that. Check it out. Um, <laughs> on a uh, strange case I've been looking into here in Florida. 
Um, and I'm also the chief researcher at um, Paranormality Magazine, where I am um, proud of the, the work I'm doing over there, doing some great um, bizarre research, paranormal stuff, and uh, looking into, um, you know, the, uh, the paranormal on a month-to-month basis. So staying busy. <laughs> Definitely sounds like you're staying busy. So uh, before we started the show, you were talking about how you had some well, kind of digging up some old research, but kind of getting back into it, kind of expanding on it a bit more. Uh, if you want to get into what your most current research is, uh, the floor's all yours, my friend. Oh, yeah. So I've been getting deeper into bee theory. And for those who have listened to the previous episodes, you've heard me talk about this um, at length already. But a quick summary for those who are new. Uh, bee theory is this concept that um, the UFO phenomenon is, has a human source and that source, um, is a rather mundane, undiscovered section of science. And the reason I call it B theory is because I was first exposed to this by a weird dude in Morocco who told me he had intelligence connections and there were some weird things that kind of confirmed it, but Again, weird dude in Morocco. Who knows? Um, but he told me that he knew people who flew UFOs and that UFOs were based off of honeybees, that they reverse engineered an anti-gravity chamber inside a bee, and that's how they figured out UFOs. And when I heard that shit, I was smoking hash, and I said, man, that's fucking crazy. But I never forgot it because it's out there. It's a really you know, interesting kind of perspective. Uh, and years later, I was doing a podcast talking about my Chilean research um, and talking about the idea that Nazis could have achieved this UFO technology. And in my first book, I mentioned just in one little paragraph, it's like four sentences, where I say the same thing I just told you. I met a weird dude. He said it was bees. So, yeah, the Nazis could have probably figured that out. If if true. Big if true. Um and the, the host of the show had read the book and that paragraph jumped out of him because he had a friend whose dad worked in military intelligence. And all he would say is he was a men in black, like in the movies. So they knew he had something to do with UFOs and aliens and that kind of stuff. And so when they asked for more information on, on when this man was retired on his deathbed, the only thing he would say was, look at the bees, Look at the bees. And so when he read that in my book, it jumped out at him. Um, and that's led me down a, a rabbit hole of anti-gravity technology where I'm more convinced than ever that we've got some kind of access to, to this propulsion. Um, there was a Russian scientist, Viktor Grabinikov, and this is what I went into in depth in the last show, so or the show before that. One of the shows. It was Check almost it a out. year ago, so we there's, there's some new it's listeners who have been around, house. so <laughs> better sound quality also. So, I mean, if you want to dig back into it, I'm sure a lot of the new listeners would appreciate it. Well, well briefly, Grabinikov was an entomologist, a Siberian entomologist, bug guy. Real dude, 100%. There's a portion of a university named after him. There's like a museum with some of his inventions and things like that. Um, and yes, he, he started to invent things based off of some of these insect principles, including um, a flying machine. And this thing was literally uh, like a pallet with handlebars. It looks ridiculous in a sense, but apparently it was capable of impossible flights, crazy speeds, 
um, over long distances with, you know, no really seeming form of propulsion. It kind of floated um, on its own. And <clears throat> this, um, you know, uh, the operation of this craft started causing all these weird paranormal side effects. And that was what made Derbenikov's research stand out to me. Cause there's lots of research out there on alternate technology and stuff like that. Uh, <clears throat> but Gerbenikov described this list of side effects that I had described in my first book, comparing the psychedelic experience to the paranormal experience. And so this guy built this craft and he was like, Oh yeah. And when you operate it, all this weird psychedelic paranormal stuff happens. And he just rattled off <laughs> exactly what I had, had described. I was like, Oh shit. Either this guy's really good at paranormal research back in the eighties when he was writing this, or he's onto something. Um, but uh, since then the rabbit hole has, has gone deeper. And I think it's, it's kind of evolved past just B theory. Um, because it's, it's really, um, I've been finding it pop up more and more in totally different research avenues. Um, and one of the first guys it goes back to, um, well, I, I thought back to the book that the kind of kicked off the second wave of B research. And I looked at the Nazis and there was a, um, a Nazi by the name of, Schrauberg, Schrauberg, um, I believe it was Walter Schrauberg. I might be missing this up, um, but he was um, he was a naturalist, and it was interesting. Um, Nick Cook, which opinion there, there are opinions about him out there. Google him, but his book Hunt for Zero Point when it came out was considered you know one of the better um, you know looks into these alternate technologies. Um, he says that he's a naturalist and then he glosses over that part and says, but really he was an engineer who worked on like logging machines and stuff. And I'm like, again, I read that and I was like, no dude, you're missing the point. It's not that he had some engineering experience because Victor Gorbinikov had no engineering experience and he was able to build one of these craft. It's that naturalist experience that I'm sure he, he figured out um, this, uh, this technology. And so the, the, from his own writings and, and records, he said that he discovered this, this alternate form of technology, this alternate form of energy, this ever-pervasive, invisible uh, quantum fluid, as some have been calling it. Um, <clears throat> And he observed it through water and rivers and vortexes. And um, he was one of the inventors of the log flume. And he figured out how to use like a razor thin thing of water to like transport these hundred pound logs. And so he was able to, to spruce up the German uh, arch, uh, architectural and war machine through increased lumber. Cause you know, now you could just use a gallon of water instead of, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons like they were before. Uh, <clears throat> so he, he figured out some of these weird things and it's from there. It seems that he was secretly and discreetly transferred to Doris and it's taken, you know, military historians, a lot of effort to piece together this dude's life, but seeming to confirm that he was at the site where this Nazi bell device was created. 
Um, and for those who don't know about the bell, um, to get into it briefly, it is this this legend that comes from um, leaks from Polish intelligence. They were the first to leak this to the the world. Um, That's one of those ones that if you're listening to this podcast and you're into conspiracy stuff, I'd be shocked if you haven't at least kind of seen a picture of it. Like as soon as you hear right. Nazi bell, like it's it creates an image in your head and it's exactly what it is. And I guarantee everybody's I mean, seen it somewhere. If you've even played Call of Duty Zombies, I think they've got a, a Nazi <laughs> bell at some point. I think maybe that's the teleporter in the, the game. Um, but yeah, that's the idea. And, and we know it was a real device um, because, again, there is still this this place you can go to today in southern Bavaria where it's this massive complex um, where there's these cooling towers and all kinds of things. And we just... We know they were building something there. We just don't know what it was. And the the most popular theory is that, well, the most accepted academic theory is that it was some kind of um, nuclear centrifuge. Um, and this comes from the reports, a lot of confirmed medical reports, that people working on it would die of weird radiation sickness-like uh, like incidences. Um, again, a lot of concentration camp workers were just like sent in there to stand next to it while they were testing it out, just to, you know, just to see what would happen. Um, and the idea is that, yeah, it was this nuclear centrifuge, kind of this crucial piece in building a, a nuclear weapon, and that you know they were close, they were this close to beating us to the nuke. It's kind of um, ironic how anytime anybody has a nuclear weapon, their first reaction is, "All right, how can we test it on our own people?" Because <laughs> you had oh, yeah. people well, in the we UK. See if it's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people in the UK uh, that were testing that shit in the water and making people feel like the blast come off of them. Mm-hmm. There's like stories of people being able to see like their skeleton and the skeleton of the person sitting next to them through their fingers. Uh, the Americans, I don't know if you believe in like the Philadelphia project, but there's another prime example. Like if anything's weird, test it on soldiers, call it a day. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, the Tungiski airmen, biological weapon. They still do that shit. Um, but uh, yeah, that, so again, that is some of the other theories on the device is that it was perhaps uh, a chemical weapon, a biological weapon. But the, of course, the more out there theories are that it was this anti-gravity, free energy, new kind of propulsion device. Um, that would make sense, too, course, considering the Nazis had such an eye on Tesla, too. Absolutely. And, and again, there's there's lots of little little hints and secrets to this idea um, that they they were looking into it. And Schrauberg, if this is the case, um, he's definitely the best candidate, at least in the B theory diaspora because of his naturalist um, background. And again, I think Nick Cook did a good job of proving that he did work at this complex. Um, and interestingly enough, there is still to this day an institute dedicated to um, his research. And I'm kicking myself because I don't have my notes on me. Um, but it's the, I think it's called the Biomedical Institute um, of Southern Bavaria or something like that. If you, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes because they're still around today. Um, and I, again, once again, Nick Cook expertly leaving out information. Uh, because a lot of the stuff they talk about today is how to use his techniques to like prevent COVID and like, you don't need vaccines. You just need this free energy technology, uh, which again, 
<laughs> alarm bells, red flags for sure. Um, whatever you believe in that that realm, that's that's a bold claim to be making. Um, but it also does have references to these other devices and technologies that supposedly were built with uh, Schrauberg's tech. Um, and there's still some weird scientists following up his research to this day. Um, and so, again, I found that quite interesting. The, there was Gurbinikov in Russia. Um, there's actually a couple dozen different dudes in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, who have been on to this same kind of concept. There was this guy um, in Canada who uh, – Hutchinson – and you can still look up the Hutchinson effect. He did discover something weird with centrifugal motion um, and levitating large objects. And again, it's, it's super interesting because anytime you look into one of these things, um, there's always this big buzz and then silence. <laughs> big buzz. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing, something that, that happens. And there's this another company and you can still find these, these videos, these promo videos of a um, free energy generator. It was the size of like a, a, you know, desk cabinet type deal on some wheels. And once you got it jump starting, they were like proving that it would work. Was it basically just a Tesla coil or was it a whole uh, other piece of technology? Similar, a similar concept. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm mathematically or engineeringly <laughs> inclined. I have no idea how any of it works in the specifics. But essentially, it was the same idea that they're pulling energy from the static air, just from the, the void. Um, and this company, they produced two videos, one of it working in an in a office building. You can tell it's like a new tech startup. The next one of it's working on a island, like them canoeing out to this island, showing that they have no connections or anything like this, starting up this generator and using it to like generate high-powered lights and all this shit on this island. And then the company just disappeared. <laughs> There's Shocker. no more records of it. There's no more pictures of this device. None of the people in the video can be fucking tracked down. It is bizarre, dude. It's weird. Um, they succeeded at Bob Lazaring his ass. <laughs> exactly. It's like if, if Bob Lazar was more valuable, he would have gotten this treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, interestingly enough, you know, again, this sounds super sci-fi. It's like very much, you know, the force, right. The invisible, um, quantum fluid. But the reason I've been calling it that quantum fluid is because that is what scientists have been calling it for decades now, because they know about this shit. I've been and hearing something this- else about plasma too. They're saying like, uh, <clears throat> like what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's plasma, but not plasma like you would imagine it, like in blood. It's like a plasma that's just like a like a fourth matter of existence within like the universe, and it just yeah, it's so hard to again, explain. There's, but there's been a lot of vocabulary around it, um, but the reason, um, and again, this this predates the hydron collider and that kind of quantum experiment. This had to do with helium three. Um, and so helium-3 is the only element we know that does this. But theoretically, all elements could do this. And there could be one right now that we don't see because it's already in this state. 
Um, and so something weird happens to helium three when you get it right down to just before absolute zero. Um, and uh, when you get it down real, real cold, it turns into a liquid. But when you get it to like, it's like 1.62056 degrees above absolute zero. It's some super specific shit like that. It does this thing where the particles in the fluid are vibrating at the exact same rate frequency as physical matter. And so it just floats through the glass it's contained in. It just disappears to the glass. It like climbs the wall and goes upward and sprays out of the top of the glass like it's going inside through the glass, falls right through the bottom. It, it, and again, it's at this degree where it can just flow through solid objects. And so the, there's been multiple um, Pulitzer Prizes awarded to research with this quantum fluid. There's like four of them. Like this is a well-known phenomenon and well-looked into. And that's been postulated by, again, like legitimate scientists who would probably hate that I'm correlating their research with UFOs. They'd be super pissed off about it, but I think they're onto something. Um, that have suggested that, well, we can observe this happening, but if there was already an element that was in that quantum fluid state, then it would be every we wouldn't we we have no way of testing it. It would be everywhere. It would be inside our brain cells. It would be inside our computer. It's everything. It's inside of all objects. Um, and Gurbinikov's research actually has been being used by legitimate scientists to back up this research. There was a paper out of Germany. Um, in regards to proving this ever-pervasive quantum fluid. And it was citing Viktor Gurbinikov, his scientific research, not his weird UFO research, but his scientific papers showing that the CSE effect, which is this special effect he discovered before the UFO stuff in regards to insect nests, um, he described it as this special electromagnetic field, but it would pass straight through solid objects. And he couldn't figure this out. Even electromagnetic fields, like if you put a sheet of metal in front of a source of one of those, it's going to dampen it. You know what I mean? But if you put glass, metal, wood in front of one of these CSE fields, it would travel right through it with no, um, no issue. And Gurbinikov built several devices based on this concept that he would use for therapy for like physical therapy. Like if you had a bum knee or you, you, some kind of muscle twist or something, it was like essentially doing one of the electroshocks, but he would just hold like an insect, artificial insect nest next to you and it would work. Um, and so this research team in Germany is citing these experiments saying if it, the CSE energy flows through um, solid objects, it throws through flesh and bone, then it's suggesting that it works on a quantum fluid. That, that would be the, you know, it would be one of the suggesting evidences towards this. Um, and so that, that paper really kind of like shook me a little bit because I've been telling the Gurbinikov story for a minute, you know, in UFO circles and to hear it told in a like entirely serious academic circle is one of those things where I was like, oh shit, maybe I should be looking at this a little more closely. 
Um, kind of funny you mentioned this whole theory too, because without even hearing your theory, without digging into any of this stuff, uh, I had somebody on recently named Tim Tolka who were talking about uh, these UFOs that are seen above this volcano. And I entertained the theory and it popped into my head about UFOs being able to vibrate at a particular frequency so that their particles are moving in a totally different form so that they're able to pass through things because it's not meshing with like our version of reality and also into this idea about if they're able to control all these little particles on a microscopic level that when you see one UFO flying and then it splits into two and then it looks more transparent, it's actually because it's displacing those particles into two locations instead of into one solid matter. So again, kind of funny that you mentioned this and I'm glad you've mentioned all this because it kind of solidifies more into another theory that I've been thinking about. But again, great minds think alike. It seems like everybody is kind of in a weird way without hearing each other's stuff kind of coming to this conclusion altogether as a whole. So that just kind of, again, kind of solidifies the research. Well, I'm in two minds of it. Part of me thinks that I've I've taken a pill of some sort and I'm just, I'm constantly finding these confirmation biases. But at the other moment, it's so much of this research is being put forward in this moment. I know I'm not crazy because I'm hearing it from other sources being like, this is a weird thing. This is weird quantum fluid, you know, totally outside of my sphere. And so there's been some things in history where um, oftentimes you have the simultaneous invention of something in different continents where two people will come up with, you know, essentially the same kind of, weapon um there was a artillery was invented at the same time in two different places there's a several um i feel like it may be one of those things though that it's a matter of one side gets a little tiny snippet that the other side's doing something then they won't let him beat it to the punch so they both look like they finish at the same time because one isn't actually starting it they just kind of had a win that they might be starting it so the other one jumped on it before the other one got a chance and then they kind of just wrapped up at the same time again we call that today, we call it predictive programming because that's just our 21st century lens. You know, we see all good spies. TV. <laughs> but I, that too. But I think it has more to do with a, a collective unconscious. I think that, you know, these subjects are coming to the forefront. So now that we have more, more conscious effort for it, and clearly someone knows something. Someone knows more than we do. You know what I mean? When it comes uh, to these things in the, the sky. Not to get I'm too sure woo-woo too, that. but I mean, theoretically, if there is another dimension above us, they're able to interact with our dimension, but we not, may not be able to see them or interact with theirs. So it could be a matter of that dimension that's above us is deciding that it's time to start kind of trickling stuff so that we can raise our frequency to where they're at. Could be, again, oh, yeah. some oh. other force that's pushing it into our reality in some way that we can't even fathom. And, and again, the, the quantum fluid theory, and I, I'm starting to shift away from B theory and towards quantum fluid theory, because I think, well, I'm going to still call it B theory because I think it's got a better link to it. But uh, <laughs> I think that it, it starts to make sense of these objects in a way. And again, whether or not they're human or alien, I think the theory still applies Um, and checks out because as described through the people who've operated these crafts, through the Gerbenikovs and that crazy dude in Morocco, um, they, they are essentially submarines traveling through this quantum fluid and this quantum fluid, it's, it's particle based. So light gravity, um, antimatter, all of that sits inside that particle realm. And so this, 
everything when you operate one of these craft, all that shit gets fucked up. And so for the outside observer, Gurbinikov always said when he was flying his weird little pallet bar ship, people would see glowing geometric shapes, triangles and discs. And again, it's like light being refracted, re- refracted through water almost. You know what I mean? If you look up when you're swimming at the, the sun and you see this weird glistening light object, it, it kind of makes fucking sense. <laughs> Again, I'm starting to buy my own bullshit, and I know I, that, that freaks me out sometimes. Hey, man, that's is. where the whole firmament concept could have came from was just a misunderstanding of what it was where people are relating to the firmament theoretically as being water, but right, realistically it could be a water. plasma where it's, it's ever pervasive. Yep. Yeah, again, and it, it, um, I'm sure I went into this when it comes to the, the last time we talked about bee theory, but um, if it is this ever pervasive, we got to stop thinking about it necessarily as a secret technology, because if this is true and these accounts of all these people discovering it through different avenues is true, it's essentially uh, a universal force more akin to gravity and well, I mean, couldn't this date back to that? Like, just another real world example the guy who built Coral Castle, he assumably yeah. would have used this type of technology. Mm-hmm. And then going back farther than that, uh, the Egyptians had a lot of stuff that involved uh, the scarab. And assumably, right. it's a big body exactly. insect or bug, uh, whatever you want to call it. According to Gurbinikov's research, the scarab beetle would have this anti gravity CSE effect in its uh, shell. So, for those looking to get into it, Gurbinikov said, and, you know, I don't know, look up your local entomologist and ask if this is okay. But Gurbinikov said you could rip the wing covers off of pretty much any flying insect and look at them under the microscope and you'd see this, this pattern. And that pattern gives off this effect. And according to him, if you place it just right under your microscope, you can see that it'll levitate for a second before it comes to rest. Uh, that just yeah, makes you wonder, know. too, if you dig yeah. into a lot of these uh, other metholithic building civilizations, I wonder if they had some other fascination with uh, some type of insect that was large-bodied with small wings, and maybe this is well, like a thing that's been about- kind of experienced and seen all over the world through different insects, and it's like the technology's right in front of us, but it's just one of those technologies that they hide from the public because it's just you don't know what people could be capable of when they start doing this stuff, especially if it starts going into the weird geometric patterns and interdimensional oh, concepts. Well, yeah, like can't the, trust the people with that kind of shit. Of this technology being free and available for everyone. You know, again, just what it would do to the gas companies is enough to get you shot in the face. But <laughs> I mean, there's just some certain concepts though, that in all fairness, aren't meant for the general public. Like, I mean, even in general, they're not really meant for anybody because even the elite shouldn't be fucking with the shit, of course. But mm-hmm. like time travel is like a perfect example where I feel like no matter what well, again, way or no. spectrum you're on, it's just way too out there to really trust like anybody with the potential that it could have. So again, though, time is one of these, these, other purveying forces in the universe that we don't understand. So if this quantum fluid exists on the particle level, we already know particles aren't bound by time. That's the whole spooky action at the distance thing where a particle is altered here. Another one's altered instantaneously in another part of the world. And again, that's something we can only see in our linear time as instantaneous. There's no way to know what that looks like to in a, a, you know, fourth, fifth, whatever dimension beyond. Um, I wanted to quick go back to the Coral Castle, though, because I don't know if I had this anecdote last time we were on, but 
Um, that's one of my, my favorite stories. I think it's really intriguing. And um, the witnesses, the kids who supposedly saw him moving these stones in the middle of the night said he was using this weird seashell shaped object, this kind of cone to levitate. and was making this humming noise. And I find that super intriguing because um, in Aztec mythology, uh, Quetzalcoatl to create the fifth incarnation of humans. And again, Aztec mythology, super cool. Um, but like most mythologies, it parrots this idea that humanities existed and then destroyed and then recreated and then destroyed and then recreated and then destroyed and then recreated. And we're number five. So rock on. Wasn't the, uh, the Egyptian <laughs> said we we're number seven or something. There was like seven great cataclysms. Exactly. So, um, it, it's not a, a, a universal concept, but, um, when they, they tell the legend of the creation of, of us, the fifth incarnation, Quetzalcoatl, which, uh, you know, the feathered serpent, fun fact, that's a kind of a mistranslation. It does mean feather serpent, but lots of times in like, uh, you know, Western interpretations of that, we picture it as like a Chinese dragon. But feathered serpent actually meant wise man. It was like a, a title. Um, so in Aztec mythology, he's more like Gandalf than he is like Smaug. <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> like a wizard who like gives out the quests and kind of like influences humanity through these different moments. And to create us, he goes down to the underworld and he gets a seashell and he fills it with bees and does this dance around the pyramid that's in the underworld. And this tricks the, the god of the underworld and he's able to steal the knowledge to create humans and go back up to the world and again it's the exact same motif of the dude in the coral castle using to levitate those blocks and again he's dancing around a pyramid while he does this um, and so I, 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 it kind of represents that flood myth right of being wiped out and they come back and they don't know much, but they remember how to put the bees in the thing to make a pyramid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, fun stories. Who knows? Who knows what's true and, and what's fantasy, but, and unfortunately uh, the farther it, we get away from it, the more and more it can become more abstract and the more people can start to add more shit to it and start to deteriorate the information. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in my experiences, I'm starting to believe that all of them are true in some sense. <laughs> in some reality somewhere all those stories are happening one way or another but that that's more of a let's let's smoke some dmt and re- <laughs> get really into it <laughs> um but i do i do think that um that being said i again a theory for me is still that there's some kind of psychedelic reality bending um phenomenon occurring but B theory, there's quite a few dozens of individuals. In fact, there's a guy here in Florida I'm uh, trying to get in touch with who's written a couple of guides on quantum hologram technology. But he's basically saying the same thing that these dozens of, of predecessors have said, that, yeah, this is the invisible fluid and you can influence it not only with like complex technology, but with pretty fucking simple rudimentary shit. Um so and is the so, idea kind of that you make the object vibrate at a lower frequency or a lower vibration than the plasma itself, so it's able to like float on top of the plasma? Is that kind of like the again, concept supposed I'm to be? Not, out of all of these people that I've researched, 
none of the technical shit makes sense to me. <laughs> and I, 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 I think there's a limitation there, but it's also, I think, intentionally by design. Again, I think when these companies and these individuals just vanish, there's a, a concentrated effort to make whatever they were working on look less than legitimate. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, write them off. I heard a, a story today about this dude in um, Canada who um, he was building, he would like recreate planes and trains and shit. And um, like from scratch, like completely on his own, he was 14 years old when he built his first like Model T Ford car, completely restored it. And he eventually disappeared saying that he was going to go off and meet the aliens. And they found his car, his truck blown up in the woods and like never found him ever again. Um, and so again, maybe he was the alien ships a cover story and he blowing up the car, faking the death, all that shit. He's just working for someone else now. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's certainly a possibility that, you know, he was full of shit too. But <laughs> I think when you look at all of these people, uh, Wilhelm Reich is another one of my favorite um, scientists, researchers, mad scientist guy who was, you know, essentially silenced at the end of his career. And he follows the same route of these other guys where he wasn't an engineer, wasn't a mathematician. He was a psychologist. He was in the same class as, um, as Jung. They both studied under Freud um, together in, in Austria. And <clears throat> he eventually moved to the U.S. And he went what he called the uh, ever pervasive energy was orgone energy. And he discovered it um, through the process of orgasmic potency. (laughs) (laughs) And so he was a weird dude for sure. Um, The first book I ever read about him, I picked up a, a biography in Mexico city and it was written by one of his students. And like the first, the introduction was about, Yeah, so under the time I studied for uh, under Dr. Reich, he cupped me about four times and uh, stole my first two wives. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And like he was still writing it from like a position of admiration almost. It really kind of had a cult cult leader kind of feel of it. That's what I was kind of feeling like too. (laughs) But the the abilities of this orgone energy is really well documented and so he built this device which um in retrospect looks really similar to the devices the cse devices gurbinikov would build this is kind of like weird conglomerations of tubes and this was his cloud buster is what he called it though it did the opposite he would fire it um in the sky and it would create a localized rainstorm and it's documented that local farmers in New York paid him over and over and over. Like he was on the, the payroll at several of these like organic farms and shit to come out and create rain clouds. And like all the farmers, it works. And on one instance, I find this super interesting. He wrote about how he was out in the field and he saw a weird light hovering in the sky. And so he pointed the cloud buster at it fired it as it were um to you know create a rainstorm at that light and he said it like it like dived towards the ground like it caused this 
instant reaction where like it was shot out of the quantum fluid essentially like it busted it out and it started falling and like had to do like this maneuver and like pick back up and it was clearly freaked out and it flew away um and he was like oh that's fucking weird as shit um and again all of this sounds super bizarre he would build these orgone accumulators which you can buy in new age shops those are the, those are the little pyramids of resin um those are bullshit. That's not what his organ accumulators was. His were giant, like, wooden pyramids, and he would sit inside them. And he said they would have, here it is again, healing properties. It would. He said he could help people suffering from cancer and shit. Again, super bold claims, but claims that have been made by all these other UFO guys who supposedly built a UFO. They said, oh, yeah, this technology also has medicinal purposes. Um, including this dude in Florida with the quantum hologram technology, Gurbinikov with his CSE technology, um, uh, Schrauberg, still to this day, the Biomedical Institute is saying, use this instead of vaccines. <laughs> so it, it, while it sounds, these details that normally you see and you're like, well, that sounds fucking crazy, are starting to add up in a weird, <laughs> in a weird sense. Um, but uh, again, I think that this, uh, this concept, it's, it's, it's intriguing. It's a dangerous rabbit hole, but I think it's starting to... All these, these different individuals um, in different worlds, different languages. Like, I don't think Gurbinikov knew about Wilhelm Reich. I don't think Wilhelm Reich knew about fucking uh, Schrauberg, the Nazi guy. And they're all just happened to be writing these, these same exact uh, principles. Um, and the short end of Reich's life is actually his closest contemporary. I think in that towards the end is Tesla, because what happened was the ATF shows up and arrests him for practicing medicine without a license by using these organ accumulators to treat cancers and shit. Um, so they arrest him and he dies in prison. And again, it's the ATF tobacco and firearms and alcohol. None of those things he was using. Um, all of his technology is, is cat taken by the government catalog. And none of it has seen the light of day since then. Unless the ATF not. secretly has some type of like where they fit in with drugs, with mind altering, where they start getting into like these whole frequency and vibration as being mind altering concepts. So they just group it in with this private department that works for the ATF and the drug department. Well, they gave it to uh, Donald Trump's uncle. <laughs> like they gave Tesla shit. I mean, theoretically though, if the government's going to hide a department, they're gonna, not going to hide it in an obvious spot, but they're going to put yeah, it somewhere sure. where it chronologically or categorically makes sense. So if you break it down that way, it kind of makes sense. That's true. I, I have a, a hunch, though, that a lot of that shit's just sitting somewhere and no one knows what it is. And they forgot what it was here for. It's like the thing <laughs> like, in uh, Indiana Jones the paperwork. with all the all the <laughs> exactly. all the crates everywhere and the guy's just pushing uh, the new one into the back. A, a giant wooden pyramid full of Wilhelm Reich's sperm. <laughs> right and there's a bunch of giant bones the there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, again, though, it's it's those weird, those weird stories. If, if it was nonsense in you know the purest form, it didn't do anything, um, didn't mean anything. Then why why why'd you kill him? Why'd you arrest him and kill him? <laughs> you know, what I mean, you Epstein his ass. And again, he was cucking people, but that was all consensual. 
he was a sex doctor, all right? There's a reason why they're repressing it everywhere, though, because they're even repressing that in like Egyptian culture, because obviously they had something weird going on. There was a reason why they were able to move all those blocks. And a lot of the depictions that I've seen, as far as like even like stuff that I've seen from my daughter's schooling, is like boats that have like a like a fucking giant boulder and it's like half submerged in water like floating along the river. Like, okay, no, that doesn't make any fucking sense. You have a couple ton boulder and you're going to put it on a boat that's about the same size they and let clearly it clearly like, levitated it with Scarabeel. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, unless they add some type of weird way of levitating it. And when it comes into all that like woo-woo shit, it all comes back to vibrations, man. Yeah, it was, and again, the, yeah, you often hear that, the vibrations, the energy waves, um, and, you know, science is kind of catching up to spirituality with a lot of that shit. Um, now, whether that's because they need the funding or not, who knows? <laughs> but Hey, man, it's um, only a matter of time before something goes from woo-woo to science. And I know I use this example all the time on the show, but alchemy to chemistry, it just took a matter of scientific understanding and then it became an actual science instead of a magic. I say that shit all the time too when I'm doing my nonsense diatribe. Now those words used to mean nothing, but now they're uranium, and you can kill a whole lot of people with it. It's a real thing. Um, so yeah, again, that's why I think we we need to keep our, our eyes open. And again, part of me I'm divided because I don't know if I've told my UFO sighting story on the show. I must have when I, we did the first one. Actually, no, I don't think you did at all. <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea you had a UFO experience. Um, well, it was just a sighting with a buddy. I, I didn't get probed or anything. <laughs> Next time. I'm <laughs> just um, put your ass up in the air. I'm over here, guys. Uh, That's I'm, what she I'm said. lubed up. Come get me. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> um, but, um, it was after doing these Ouija board mushroom experiments where I was, was trying to contact something, get some kind of paranormal experience. And during the seances, nothing would happen. But in the days following it, in the middle of the week and stuff, I started to see these UFOs. And they were just lights in the sky and one kind of burst and it was really weird. But the one that was the kicker was I was sitting with a, a friend of mine. We were discussing these experiments and he was like, okay, dude. Ouija boards, mushrooms, UFOs, you've lost the plot. And I was like, all right, fair enough. When you say it like that, yeah, it does sound pretty crazy. Um, and then almost ironically, we started to hear this metallic hum. And the- What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only 
new customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This triangle-shaped craft just cruised right above us, and it's that classic one, light in each corner. Um, it was slightly different because usually they have no sound associated with them, but we clearly heard a... Like a like almost a Scooby Doo whir, <laughs> you know what I mean? But more metallic, more real than that. Um, and it just like floated right above us. And again, I'm in two minds about that because it, it felt almost intentional. Like we were talking about it, we were addressing it, and like it was almost like a nod, like hey, we are real and we are psychedelic. Um, bye bye. But also, when I'm looking at that thing and still thinking back to this day. God damn it. It looked like a fucking craft. Like it definitely looked physical. Like I think I, if I threw a rock at it, I would have heard a thunk. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was certainly a craft. And so that really leans me back towards that human explanation. And I always do put it in Vegas odds at the end of the day. We, we were talking to the earlier, the standard of evidence for in a court. Not to shit standard of evidence, <laughs> but Vegas is pretty good. <laughs> you know, Vegas called the Game of Thrones ending fucking months before anybody else did. <laughs> Vegas knows their shit. And if you were to ask Vegas to count up what what's the, the underdog, who's winning this race, who's inside the UFO, I'm sure the favorite is fucking humans because we do build things. We do have craft. And there are dozens of people out there who have said, I've built one of those, by the way. And it's, uh, again, what, what do we do with that? We reject those people and we assume that it's little green men from a different world. And so I think if you're asking a bunch of gamblers... <laughs> They're gonna look at that and be like, "Well, we don't have any little green men in like a bag or anything, right? There's no none in the labs anywhere, and it's Vegas. They would know." <laughs> and so I'm gonna, if, if that's not the case, we're gonna bet on the humans. And so uh, again, I, I think that's why, though, um, I'm still enthralled with the subject. Every day, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what to make of that. And again, both things could be true. If it is a human craft operating in this quantum fluid, perhaps all it took for us to see through its camouflage was, you know, smoking a joint and having a weird conversation about psychedelics and UFOs. Maybe that trace amount of shit in our systems, the shared consciousness of us being open-minded was enough to, to take down the, the typical, uh, camouflage these things usually enjoy but i mean even so if you're taking psychedelics it's like your mind's vibrating in a different frequency so maybe that frequency or that spectrum is lining up with whatever frequency or spectrum those things are vibrating in and even get get into kind of a combined concept too uh 
like the extraterrestrials that we're envisioning, like the tall grays, they could theoretically be us from the future. Cause if time isn't necessarily what we think it is. And right. theoretically, if time travel is possible, then it's always been possible. So if you keep converging where every single race keeps converging and converging and eventually becomes one race, you know, eventually we're going to look kind of uniform and it would make sense that it, those could essentially be us from the future. And the reason why they come back and they almost try to catalog and like keep tabs on things is just because they're again, just trying to do the same thing that we would do with nature as far as like trying to categorize and to keep tabs on stuff and just watch how things interact and evolve with each other or adapt with each other, depending on which way you want to look at it. Yeah. I, I think, um, again, I, I, I think maybe perhaps there is a, a C theory, let's call it Chaz theory. <laughs> Where there is a, a middle ground between the two, because I think um, I think that's evident again in the research itself. If you look at the the weird scientists, the Reichs and stuff, they've almost all discovered it through nature, whether it's through human fucking or bees or logs and rivers or whatever it was. It's again being discovered through this natural. The implication is that it's 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 a natural process that's you know ever pervasive. It's a hundred different people having the um, the apple on the head moment <laughs> with Newton's gravity in, in different ways. And so, um, if this technology does work on this quantum fluid, I, I believe our, the way the human mind interacts with the quantum fluid is psychedelically. I think that's what we're experiencing under um, psychedelic substances. I, when I first took it, I, I would always call, you know, the Mandela's you see and stuff. It's the fabric of the universe, but perhaps it is. I'm just, we're actually just seeing the waves and the quantum particles. I mean, if you're explaining it that way too, there's been a few times that I've taken psychedelics with some friends and we do this weird thing where one of us will face towards the wall and cover our eyes and the other person behind them will put up fingers and more often than not, you, you can, can guess, guess exactly them, uh -huh. what they are. And either one, that could work through the concept of people are actually connect connected telepathically, so you're able to view the room from somebody else's perspective. Or it's heightened senses, like in the concept of like if somebody was blind, they have that mm -hmm. view of the world where it's almost like a like a sonar kind of a thing, or they can't yeah, really make like up details, but they can view things. Uh -huh. Or again, going into your option of things, if there is some type of plasma that's all around us and we just don't realize it, almost like how a fish being in water doesn't realize that they're in water yeah, you feel the waves of you can, it. exactly you feel the waves of it hitting you so you can feel your full surroundings ends up being another sense uh without you even realizing it and you're recepting it because again your brain could be working in way more subconscious ways than you realize and as humans as Absolutely. we evolve more towards developing our own technologies we start losing track of these natural abilities and technologies that may already be subconsciously programmed into our heads because they're not a necessity for us at this time Right. And well, and it's also been something kind of, you know, semi understood throughout history, auras and energy bodies, chi throughout the, the, the world. There's kind of been a recognition of, you know, an extension of the physical form in this, you know, invisible, non-physical way. I mean, even expanding uh, into that, too, just for anybody that doesn't necessarily believe in auras and stuff. I mean, you go into ultraviolet and bees can see ultraviolet on flowers and it's a whole like aura spectrum that they're giving off. So mm -hmm. just it's already seen in nature. So who's to say that you don't give off an aura? It's just a matter of you can't perceive it because you don't have the right equipment to perceive it. But again, a dog can 
stare at somebody and know exactly how who they are, what they're thinking, other animals can. Mm-hmm. We may have just pushed ourselves well, away from it, but everything else could have this different view of reality and, and actually a, see these things. Well, there's a great study out there, and scientists accept science accepts that with a lot of things. There was a great study recently with plants finding out that plants scream when they're in pain. They release this popping noise when they're stressed out. And it's actually at conversation level, like it's loud. Um, but it's at a pitch we can't hear. <laughs> and so, again, we know that with the, the light as well. It's the mantis shrimp has 26 eye cones. So theoretically, it could see like something like, I don't know, 160 billion different colors or something like that. Um, and so we recognize that there are, well, I, I, I guess we recognize that there is another realm that the things we understand gravity time color sound these non-physical things we know they extend somewhere else but because of our physical limitations we just don't know where it is we're like yeah yeah, they see some colors i mean just an example too a couple episodes back i had somebody on that was talking about somebody who was at a near-death experience and they were claiming to see colors that didn't exist and they couldn't describe Mm -hmm. the colors because again they were colors that didn't exist well, that's actually even more interesting than that. There's people alive walking around today who see, you know, a few thousand more colors than we're able to see. And just because there's no words or language for it. So everyone knows someone who's colorblind. I think it's something like one in 10 dudes are colorblind. Um, and that's when you're missing the red icon. You're essentially just missing one of the three icons that we humans typically have. But there are people out there who have a fourth icon. And interestingly enough, it's usually women. Um, Just like usually dudes are colorblind. Some women are. But usually women have this fourth one. And um, sometimes dudes do too. But it's typically, typically ladies. And again, that goes into that whole idea of psychics and female sensitives and whatever. Who knows? But... Essentially, and you can look it up. I forget what it's called. It's not astigmatism. That's when everything's blurry. But it's something similar to that. It's got one of those Latin roots. Um, And it's like paintings of what normal things look like to them. And it's essentially it looks like they're tripping balls. So that's what they're painting is is what everything just looks like watercolors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like some intense watercolors. And inside those watercolors, though, are colors that we can't see. Like they are seeing, you know, different colors that there's just no word for. And so (laughs) we can't see it. And that goes back to the idea, though, if we did create a word for it, could we start to perceive it? And I, I think that is a quite a possible yes. I think that, my friend, is is magic. And uh, that's how you get magic, alchemy, the chemistry. <laughs> say, correct me if I'm wrong, too, but I've heard a lot of different concepts about back in biblical times, they didn't make reference to blue. So theoretically, maybe they didn't correct. see blue back then. Because uh, they even talk and, about and the sea not the- being blue. <laughs> Right. I, I don't know much. I don't do the too much Bible stuff, um, except for the fun that's, you know, three days and whatnot. Enoch, um, of course, that's the main focus of it as yeah, far as this community you know, goes. <laughs> Christmas and, uh, you know, the, the Santa Claus, he's somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, Homer's The Odyssey, which is, is one of my, as a pagan, favorite religious texts, um, has no reference to blue. The, the sky's described, the ocean's described as wine-colored. Um, they're all described without ever using the word blue. And there's um, a certain 
time period where like a popular blue dye starts being introduced in the ancient Mediterranean. And then all of a sudden, you know, blues, the well, not only is it everywhere in, in literature, but it's also everywhere on like buildings and stuff, even uh, historical places. Like you think Santorini in Greece, they still got to do the blue and white. Um, there's chef shower in Morocco, the half the city's painted solid blue. Um, and it, it dates back to this, like, oh, it was like the fancy luxury thing to do to like show like your town, the, the new color. Everyone else has been living in fucking brown and shit and green. And look <laughs> at this fucking blue, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but you know, what's a so, crazy yeah, concept to think about is that if they couldn't perceive blue, that means that their main colors that built up everything were only red and yellows. They're only able to see colors that were making a variation of that, right? So even green, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have perceived green the same way because it has a blue to it. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, purple was the color of royalty because it was the most difficult color to make. Um, And they they had purple because they had wine and shit, but it was still hard to synthesize as a dye. And essentially, indigo dye is just a blue form of purple. Um, and so, well, I don't know, color theory, color artists might be yelling at their, their podcast right now. That might be wrong. <laughs> um, but there's a really fascinating study. And I think we touched on this one in episode two, but the, in Namibia, where this tribe, um, they did this color test where it's nine circles, 18 in total, two different sheets. On the first one, eight of the circles are green. One of them is turquoise. On the other one of them, all nine are green, except one of them is one tiny shade different. Like if you're on Photoshop and you hit the up key, that much shade different of green, imperceptible to you or I. Um, And this tribe in Namibia could pick that circle out clear as day. That one, that one, that one, that one. But when they were asked which one was different with the turquoise circle, they were like 60, 40. More than half of them couldn't figure out which circle was turquoise. They're like, oh, maybe it's that one. Maybe that one. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. And again, they have no language for well, no word for blue in their language. <laughs> they have no no reference to turquoise or anything like that. Uh, it's this Kalahari bush people. They're a nomadic people in this arid region um, that you know pr- essentially close, uh, pretty close to free of colonialism as you can get you know these days in the world. And it, it seems that they still are living essentially as the ancient Greeks did without the color blue. Um, and so, again, these basic things in our perception are wildly different from just human to human. And so I think, I think that understanding is really missing these days, especially when it comes to you know, politics and shit. But the paranormal, which is my expertise, I'll stay focused on that. Um, <laughs> absolutely, that I think is a, a huge factor. Um, I think you, I think uh, you know the people out there. This is a callback to our private conversation. The people out there insisting on DNA evidence is going to solve this whole thing. You're missing the point. What's happening here is a reflection of. Um, alterations in reality something is bending our physics in a way we don't understand and the goal is not to capture a big hairy monkey man or like release the dead spirit onto the next life the goal here is to understand what's happening to our reality what's happening to physics and what does it mean 
we can say that it means this or that, but we're all just fucking guessing. You know what I mean? We're, we're all painting the story and that's the, that's what makes this so fun. But at the end of the day, we need to, to recognize that something of high strangeness is occurring. And for one person, it might be a Bigfoot. For the next person, it might be a dog man. For the next person, it might be an alien. But there's something occurring in reality at the core of that, that most of these perception level things that we're debating about, separating the field of whether the big, tall, hairy creature has a snout or not is so ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not our fault. That's what, you know... Yeah, academics have done that's what classifications of animals are right like there's a bunch of animals that they're the same species you know what i mean like come on are we really we're really differentiating that much between you know uh, a, a zebra and a horse yeah one's bigger donkeys and all that different species totally different things okay yes but essentially they're mammals they're four-legged mammals and they exist why do they exist like this and we, evolution is the theory to explain that. There's that overarching theory. We're at the phase of arguing, well, no, that, that, one's, that one's a dog and that one's a Bigfoot. <laughs> and like, well, how about we figure out where they're coming from and going to, and then we can figure out the classifications later. Well, let's get the basis of whether they're real or not. Um, and again, I think the answer is not going to be that simple. I think the answer is somewhere in how individuals perceive reality. Um, and this taps in where we were said we were going to touch on it. The, my dog man slash Bigfoot slash skinwalker theory. Um, and we were talking about early before we hit record, I went to the Bigfoot conference and it's pretty much exclusively black people or black people, white people there. <laughs> Total miss of the tongue there. Exclusively white people there. Except for my wonderful, lovely editor, Alicia J. Shout out to her. Um, and the one other woman of color there. Um, everyone else out of the thousand so crowd, white dudes. And so I think as a fellow white dude, if I see something spooky in the woods, it's a good chance it's going to look like Bigfoot. There's, again... It's hard to say how much is genetic, how much is cultural, how much is learned. Um, but just from that experience, I think it's safe to say that more often than not, white people are seeing Bigfoot in the woods. Um, I think where, where the skinwalker comes into play is, um, and the dogman to a certain extent, is for the, the mass group of people out there who don't believe in Bigfoot. Um, and don't necessarily believe in UFOs or aliens or demons and angels. I think for most of the time, and we know this, we look at history, you saw something spooky, demon. That's what it is. I go to church. The church told me that's a demon. That's a demon. Big hairy legs, horns, red guy, demon. <laughs> Whatever it is, demon. Um, but for the first time, we, don't, we have a, a population that doesn't, have necessarily that belief system in play. And so I think when you see a lot of these dogman sightings and, and skinwalker sightings, you know, where it's these bizarre bovine, you know, half mammal, half monstrosity, woodland creatures, that's your mind doing the best it can. It knows you're in the woods, so it's going to make it look like a, an animal, a dog or a, a deer. 
but it also knows that it's not that. So it's going to give it some other traits. It's going to make it look scary. It's going to make it look freaky. It also, you also have some sense of intelligence about it. So you make it, your mind makes it more anthropomorphic. It gives it, you know, it puts it on hind legs. It gives it kind of this, you know, looking about nature to it. Um, and you're, you're basically filling in the blanks there. And so I think uh, a product of this, and I'm sure I can already see now some like uh, a Christian take on this. We've lost a Jesus. And so that's why all these demons and skinwalkers are here. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying that the demons now look different because people think differently. And we, we have to acknowledge that our thoughts and our perceptions physically change what we're seeing. Just like those Kalahari dudes in the bushlands can't see fucking turquoise. We can't see whatever that is. And what our mind is doing is picking the next shade of green close as it can to it and, and trying to understand it that way. Just to throw another weird concept into it too, that is something that I've kind of entertained lately is if we are living in some type of like organic simulation, the best way to kind of break this down is that eventually, you know, people are going to play Grand Theft Auto, the NPCs, the random characters running around, they say random stuff, they do their own thing, but they're going to want to become more realistic. And eventually they're going to get to a point where, you know, they develop them to be almost like conscious where they can like interact with themselves and do their own thing because they want to make that reality so realistic for you to be able to go and play in. So then if we are in some type of organic simulation, that means that there's something outside of this too, which again, could even go into like the next dimensional kind of concepts. So, you know, you're going to want to have to, you're going to want some type of fun playable character when you come into this reality. So you just choose your skin and then you come flying in. So the reason why we've had all these different phenomena and all these different things, and they all kind of come in like spurts of when they pop up and spike might be because if there is again, something outside of our reality, that's, the popular character to play as at the time. And of course, when it comes to all these encounters, it's like some kind of quick random encounter and then it runs off. It's almost like, again, it could be some like form of entertainment. Like mm -hmm. if you had a video game where there was realistic people and you could pick any type of cryptid, weird type of character that you could be, the concept of the game would be to go in and freak people out as much as possible and disappear without getting caught just to mind fuck everybody. So like, Who's to say that all of these oh, yeah, possible fun. phenomenon could all literally just be the same thing, which is different skins, so to speak? Uh, well, yeah, the the trickster with uh, many masks. There's a couple great books out there on that that's concept. Um, but uh, again, I think that I don't necessarily even want to give it that much sentience. I don't think it's necessarily picking the masks. I think it knows that we're human minds have a limitation. Just like we understand when we abduct animals and we're like, yeah, this is probably a little bit traumatic for the animal, but we got to tag it. It's for science. It's not going to know what's happening. It's fine. Whatever. You know what I mean? That they kind of operate with that same, you know, um, I guess apathy towards us. Like, yeah, they don't like to be seen and caught out. But there's not really any consequences if there are, you know what I mean? Like most UFOs and um, cryptids and stuff, Dogman in particular, he seems to show that kind of intelligence where if you see him, he's kind of annoyed by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where like he might like grr at you or like scare you or whatever. But like a lot of times he'll just go back to what the, whatever the fuck he was doing before because – Again, these and UFOs much in the very same way where they 
they fly over cities, military sites, nuclear silos with, you know, immunity because they know that no one's going to understand what they're seeing. And the best guess at what they're going to be able to comprehend is, is not going to cut it. We can just fuck right off. You know what I mean? It's kind of the, the perfect camouflage. It's a quantum camouflage. Whatever you're seeing, you can't perceive it. And, and so, you know, yeah, we should probably not try to freak them out when, if we're, you know, here doing side quests and shit. But, like, if, yeah, if a human sees you, what's the big deal? He's going to tell his buddy some crazy story and they're going to think he's nuts. <laughs> and, and, again, that was my, in my first book, that was kind of my approach is really noticing that a lot of people's encounters when they're describing them, especially first encounters, it sounds so much like someone describing their first drug trip. You know what I mean? Where they're they're kind of failing for the words almost. Like it's really hard to to accurately capture the the, the essence of the feelings behind what you're experiencing. Kind of makes um, you wonder too if back during MK Ultra they were tricking people and putting LSD like in their drinks and then they're kind of luring them into places. It makes you wonder if the government was ever going to do experiments on the general public and they're going to handpick people out. Their method of doing it would be to jack you up on so much drugs that it wouldn't make any fucking sense. So if they jack you up on some type of vast L- psychedelic that we aren't yeah. even aware of or some kind of weird different compound of like LSD or some shit like that. They could have you on an operating table in a back warehouse and uh, you're seeing aliens on a UFO, but realistically you're in like a fucking back warehouse with some fucking backdoor doctor with a fucking mask on, you know, (laughs) or even just as simple. They just, they just put on an alien mask and you perceive it as like a real alien mask. And it could just be some like Halloween decoration mask. Well, Bob Lazar mentioned the same thing when he said he saw a little alien. Is he said he couldn't be sure they weren't just fucking with it, like you know, pulling one over on him. Um, but again, that's a whole other side story. Um, but fuck, what was I going to say? Um, I mean, shit. If the government was digging into like the whole telekinetic thing with like MK Ultra, I feel like part oh, of MK telekinetic Ultra, powers would be the effect that you could possibly change somebody else's perception through your telekinetic abilities. So then you may not ever change. You are who you are, but with your telepathic abilities, you could alter somebody else's reality to view you as a monster, as whatever the fuck else you are. And all of these weird phenomenons that people are seeing could again be extensions of MK Ultra projects where it's telepathic people that have this ability to change other people's perceptions of what they're viewing. Well, I, I think in a, to a similar degree, but my pet theory is similar adjacent is that if the B theory and this quantum fluid, these ships operate how described, they operate in this quantum fluid and essentially a psychedelic state between light and space and time and all that shit, um, then perhaps MKUltra was just, well, you know, maybe it had, it, it probably had many different goals. We, you know, brain controls, the mind controls, the common one, but perhaps it was something more simple, finding candidates suitable enough to operate these craft, putting people under psychedelics in high stress scenarios and fucking brothels. And there was that one experiment where they put these dudes in a remote wilderness camp and simulated like the world was ending and three of them were on LSD and one of them wasn't. (laughs) And the dude who wasn't 
had irreparable psychological damage. The three that were tripping, they actually kind of, their trips synced up like we were talking about before. <laughs> they synced up and they kind of like got through it. Um, but again, those were on soldiers and yeah, they tested on random civilians, but a lot of times it was on scientists and soldiers and stuff. And so perhaps that was just how they found their UFO pilots. They found someone who could handle tripping balls in a high stress scenario, slap them on a UFO. That's what, what we need. Um, just to because, throw a concept out there too, just a quick thing for anybody that isn't familiar with how LSD works and you're wondering how the government was able to drug people with this besides just drinks, LSD, you only have to get on your skin and it absorbs into your skin and you'll start tripping. So theoretically to drug somebody with LSD, it's probably easier than most drugs because all you have to do is get it on their skin and then it's going to get absorbed. So I, I just want to throw that out there for people that aren't familiar with LSD. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, a far reaching program that most of which we don't know about. Most of it was destroyed. We only got like one box of files and that shit is insane. So 90% of it just has um, black lines over everything. <laughs> who, who knows what the, the real goals are, if they ever accomplished anything. Um, but again, if these these quantum fluid devices work that way, it would probably helps to have some psychedelic experience under your belt because you're going to be seeing some weird shit. <laughs> That's what everyone reports from these uh, operating these devices. I still say too, there's a reason why psychedelics are still a class A scheduled illegal drug and everybody knows it's it's been proven time and time again that they don't, they're, they're way less damaging than anything. I mean, opiates are what class B or C or something like that. And psychedelics oh, yeah. are still considered a class A. And obviously they're significantly less harmful than that. I mean, the worst thing you're going to get from a psychedelic trip is that if somebody can't like mentally handle it, they might kind of cork a little bit, but that's nothing compared to like dying from doing like heroin or something. Like there's a reason and there's something to these things, why they're scheduled the way they are is because they don't want the average person to take them and they want them to be scared of them, which is why the whole like oh, remember that Billy took acid that one time and he thought he was a glass of orange juice for the rest of his life. Like, they want to scare people away uh -huh. from all of these mind-expanding drugs and push people into the mind-suppressing drugs because they don't want people's minds to expand. They want people's minds to repress. So that's why, again, yeah. alcohol is legal, fucking opiates are legal, all this shit that, like, dumbs you down. But anything that expands you <laughs> into a different method of thinking is illegal. Get it the fuck out of here. <laughs> and yeah. that being said, too, that also makes me question the fact of the whole like decriminalization of like shrooms. Like there's some, there's something to it, you know, like it's not just like shrooms for everybody. Think outside the box. Like there's no reason in the world why a government would ever oh, well, want people it, to be it, thinking it like they're on mushrooms. The same way is the minute someone who already had a bunch of money starts making more money. And that's how they did it here in Florida with the medical is that very, the first two years here, you couldn't buy medical flour or edibles. You could only buy vape pens. And that's because the tobacco companies had already had all the paperwork. They could ship in vape pens, but they can't ship in bud from other states because that was illegal according to the new law. They had to grow the, the bud in state. So for the first two years, illegal 
to sell bud at them until the companies that were already established had started growing bud. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, now we can sell flowers. Oh dude, in fucking Michigan, they were using the caregivers to get everything going. And then as soon as all the corporations came in and everything was starting to roll for like big grows happening, Mm -hmm. then all the caregivers, you can't sell, buy any, do anything with their product at Dispose. Like they know what they're doing and they kick people out of that shit intentionally. Oh yeah, my my brother works up for a lab uh, in in Massachusetts and they just got bought out by a, a corporate conglomerate like overnight shut them down just shut them down because they don't want the competition that's pretty (laughs) much what happened with the company i work for we got bought out by a canadian Mm -hmm. company and now we're part of like a big corporate thing but i mean again if there's some type of like i don't even want to necessarily say spiritual but some like otherworldly link to these things uh Mm -hmm. i feel like there's a reason they're trying to pull like for lack of a better term, like the spirituality away from the plants. And like one example I have is like tobacco is a very spiritual plant for the native Americans and they made it so normalized that they destroyed the quality of it. It wasn't the same natural plant anymore. The plant itself was unhappy and then it became what it is now. And now they got people on vapes. So now they made a synthetic version of it. So now you're getting the same high from the some from the plant, but without the spiritual, like actual plant concept of it. So I kind of feel like the same is kind of happening with cannabis that maybe like the spiritual aspect of it is in the flower, but they're pushing everybody towards the, the carts and the wax and all that. And in turn, by processing it, they're taking away that spiritual factor. So again, for lack of a better term, spiritual factor, but it may just be a certain vibration or frequency that you hit when you're taking these things in their natural form versus in their altered Mm -hmm. form. But once you make the altered form, more popular than you make the original form obsolete. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at with yeah. it. You're, you're, no one likes this fact, but it's true. You're 20 times less likely to get any of the tobacco causing cancers. If you smoke cigars instead of cigarettes, 20 times less likely. And again, who knows about these vapes yet, but it hasn't been enough years for the numbers to come in yet, but it doesn't, feel good. I can tell you, I don't feel good when I smoke one, mm-hmm. um, whether it's weed vape or regular vape. As far as um, weed vapes go, there's only one brand I can smoke. And the only reason I do is because it hits and tastes like wax. All the other ones do. They give me a headache. Like I don't feel right yeah, on them. Like it's the one same. brand and that's it mm-hmm. out of the hundreds of brands I've tried. There's hack. one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, it, again, these, all, all, all the drugs are a concerted effort. And if, I think if you look at um, you know, the, the history and sales of, and what's, you know, normalized. It's, it's whatever most correlates with, you know, the industrial revolution working society. That's why caffeine and, um, uh, you know, tobacco are encouraged. They smoke tobacco, it wakes you up and you don't have to eat. <laughs> caffeine keeps you awake and keeps you going. Um, then they give the whole youth Adderall from the time that they're in fifth grade so that they already mm-hmm. have a prescription for that mm-hmm. and they're jacked up on that by the time they go into well, college and into their careers. I, I do think, though, I, well, I'm all, totally against all the pills. That shit's super evil. That is what the founding fathers intended because I think it's um, the way we tell that history is always sensitive because we always leave out the fact that all of those dudes, all of them except for like four, were tobacco farmers. They farmed tobacco and all that beef, Boston Tea Party, we focus on that shit. But what was really happening was that the royals in the UK, smoking had gone out of vogue. It was considered gross because everyone was spitting. They didn't smoke. They spat too, essentially. And they were doing butthole enemas and people were getting super sick. They were getting way too high on their tobacco. Uh, And so like uh, George 
made it illegal to use tobacco like inside the royal palaces. And so it became a gross colonial thing. And George Washington, if he has any modern contemporary, he's more close to Pablo Escobar than any other political leader we have in the modern era because he was like, fuck this. I need to make my bag. You know who loves to smoke? The French. And like he was all of that, the, the, um, and I'm again, I'm an anarchist. This is going to get into a little political propaganda here. But the, when they seized the, the, uh, armory at Lexington and Concord. We always leave this part out. That armory belonged to the tobacco farmers. They were taking away the guns from what was essentially the early tobacco unions or cartels, if we're using our modern language here. <laughs> but again, when they wrote the, the Second Amendment, they meant for heavily armed unions to maintain stockpiles so they could keep their interests and their livelihoods and their governments in check. It wasn't so I personally could have a bunch of machine guns. It's so we could protect our interests together as a community. Political diatribe over anarchism forever. Um, <laughs> but the, this idea that these substances, um, you know, that uh, I, I don't necessarily know that the, um, the motivation is to eliminate them because they are spiritually awakening. Again, I think people react to drugs differently. You know, I, by my lovely partner, she can't drink caffeine, not a lick of it freaks her out. She gets super anxiety and jitters. Well, I mean, it makes um, sense if you're kind of explaining it that way, because just as we progress as a culture, you know, everybody was like working hard. Everybody's busting ass. They want everybody to be up, 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 up. But now we're getting to a point where everything's starting to get replaced by machines and they want to push people into this whole concept of like you know um oh, yeah. where you pretty much get, just get paid into elysium yeah, uh -huh, get, no, just get paid to exist rich. so yeah we're, we're we're fostering this um consumerism cult that really only a few of us can appreciate but this is it's the death stages of capitalism is where like these people are going to spend all the rest of our monies on whatever full flivorous shit they want to. And unfortunately, here in the U.S., I see mushrooms going down that road. It's going to be an expensive – and it already is. There's like luxury ayahuasca resorts here in Florida, which – See, it's going to be a mix between all the expensive. corporate people that are making money off the shit. And then you're going to have the other side of society that thinks that they're like new age philosophers. But realistically, yeah. they're just the new version of a sheep because they're just falling game to that system. And they think that their mind expanding. But Realistically, they could just be falling into the trap that's intended for them by the corporations in the first place is to just sit Again, around and do nothing and just spend money. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all tools. You know what I mean? It's the, I love the Hunter S. Thompson model because you know what? Sometimes it does take a pile of cocaine to stay up all night and bust out a few chapters in a book. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes it does take a, a couple caps of mushrooms to go out and have a, a full centered experience and, and address, you know, internal issues and traumas and things like that. Yeah, I've said it before. Me, drugs are quote tools if used properly exactly. because you can, they can for do a me, lot if you're using them properly. Uh, for me, most of the time, I like a nice joint to chill out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know? And so I think, uh, again, the idea, anytime I meet one of the, cause I, you know, I meet them a lot. What the wooks out there, that's been my vocab word of the week <laughs> <laughs> because my parents went to a Billy strings concert and they've been saying it all the time. So we're mocking them, but, um, 
anyways, um, they, uh, anytime you meet someone and it's like their, their spiritual identity is, is ayahuasca or DMT or whatever it is. I'm like, man, imagine if like, if for me, it's the same as being like, man, I love coffee. I'm really into coffee. Everything I do is about coffee or like the craft beer people. It's like the same. It's just oh a my different God, side dude. of that coin. Shit is driving me crazy that I've been in stoner my entire life and I'll always smoke weed, dude. But the current stoner culture makes a personality out of smoking weed. And it drives uh, me sure. fucking insane to the point where it's like, again, I work in cannabis and I always smoke cannabis, but I don't want to like want people to know that I like smoke like that anymore just because of like what the new culture is. Like I don't want anything to do yeah, with that new culture. Here's, here's the key, man. I smoke spliffs. Everyone thinks I'm dirty and weird. <laughs> That's how I like them to think about me. <laughs> so, oh, oh, you you want to hit? Yeah. There's some tobacco in there though. It's a little spicy. And half the time they're like, no, nah, I'm good. And the ones who aren't, those are the ones you want. Those are the chill guy. It's a perfect film. I like rolling with the, t- uh, the natural tobacco leaves. That's always like my uh, main, main preference. Well, but most of the time, just because my lady smokes with me, I just end up rolling regular joints. But the preferred method uh, is like natural rolled tobacco leaf. Oh, and I, I roll it up. I see there's this thing here in Florida though where people will absolutely smoke a blunt but they're like oh that's a spliff no thank you (laughs) it's the same fucking thing you're literally smoking a tobacco leaf (laughs) but in all fairness though if you're smoking like a swisher or something like that I mean they like to pretend Uh, like it's a tobacco leaf but it's more paper than tobacco leaf yeah yeah at least this is some some real tobacco in this fucker man Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a neutral thing. I think all the substances should be unregulated. You know what I mean? I think people should be able to choose what they do with their bodies. It wouldn't Absolute, be taboo anymore. Though. So I don't feel like people huh? would be as ridiculous anymore. Cause it wouldn't be taboo. Like if stuff's taboo, yeah. people are enjoy, enjoy it. You know, if things aren't taboo, then it takes away that, that, nuance to it you know so if you made all drugs legal they wouldn't be taboo so then people wouldn't be doing them as much because they're not like when they're doing them you know able to have proper communities built around them as well instead of you know driving the community to the underground and making them you know hang out with cartels so they can buy pills and shit like that again even for the fucked up drugs if you made it legal there's no reason to get violent about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, sure. Families are still going to be torn apart by addiction and shit like that. But the the drug war doesn't stop that. It exasperates it. You know what I mean? It makes everything more intense. It takes it to the umph degree where, you know, you have to involve the cops in a medical issue, essentially for, for people who are, are suffering intense addiction. And that's fucked up. Cops are bad at that, man. <laughs> I believe again, anarchy, get rid of them all, but realist to Chaz, we should make it. So the cops have the least amount of work to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we, our society is not set up that way at all. We don't give them enough training and then we make them do way too much intense shit that they don't have training for. And so again, yeah, it's easy to hate them because they're fucking up, <laughs> but we all need to do better as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I've gotten way too off the subject here because it's it's, it's uh, getting late night here. But we need to. Hey, do but that's what happens with the show, though. 
I call it an open-minded talk show for reasons because I never know where it's going to end up going. You don't necessarily have to stay on topic. It's wherever the conversation goes, man. (laughs) You got me on the drugs. I got opinions. And yeah, I do. I think if you look at the, uh, the trade of substances, whether it's drugs or spices, that that's where the real history is, is at when we, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, discussion on conspiracies and royal bloodlines and reptilian invaders and shit. But again, if you just follow the money and usually you're like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, it checks out. Um, and uh, yeah, I think our founding fathers would be pissed about the state of tobacco today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they thought it was a, a rich man's luxury item. So they, they would be pretty pissed about all this uh, uh riffraff about it um but yeah again it's 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 gonna happen whatever the next drug is there's gonna be another guy who tries to uh capitalize on it and um ruin it in the process (laughs) right yeah probably (laughs) just like old george and pablo (laughs) i'm telling you man spiritual brothers except george won pablo lost <laughs> one got criminalized and one became a hero <laughs> only difference man he ran for president and he got damn close too only difference is he lost but I you really see the difference though because pablo escobar to some was a hero <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it would have been, been the same way with george washington if he lost right we would there would still be a, a cult to this day we'd be speaking british but we'd still have the cult we're like yeah remember that one tobacco dude who tried to take it over <laughs> <laughs> no let's go That's smoke a joint in the garage weirdos <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, governor. what a bunch of fucking weirdos they were in it <laughs> um Hell yeah, man. <laughs> so uh, I guess we've been pretty vast of bouncing around topics on this one. I don't know where to bounce into next one, but again, that kind of just leaves us opportunity to have you come back on for a fourth time and we can bounce into some more awesome conversations. So uh, with that, I always like to leave on a high note with words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there's any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Uh, so I, I had a good one the other day. They asked me to do a little documentary about ghost hunting. And I know we haven't talked about that at all today, but it's Chaz of the Dead. So I'm going to leave you on some ghost hunting advice. We'll do that again next um, time. <laughs> and <laughs> I, well, I, 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 it's always my fault. I never get into any of that shit because I, again, I really love the UFOs and shit. But anyways, I'm with you, man. I um, like the interdimensional concept. So I can bounce back and forth with these theories with you all day, man. I love it. <laughs> Well, they, they were doing this documentary. It was a podcast I had been on and they were, you know, getting out in the field and doing, you know, a like ghost investigation um, documentary. And they, they wanted some advice on like, you know, how to go into this investigation. Like what's uh, the most productive way to do it. And this is what I always tell people is if you're going out, don't look at it as a ghost hunt. Like you're going to go there and the ghost is hiding somewhere and you're going to capture him. You got to look at it as a digital seance that you are, you're meeting this phenomenon halfway, Uh, not necessarily generating it, but the the technology, all the gadgets, they're cool and all all that, but they're more akin to a Ouija board than they are to the vacuum cleaner and Ghostbusters. You're not going to capture them with the technology, but you might, you might be able to to conjure them with it. Um, And so, um, 
that's my that's my word of advice for uh, anyone looking to go investigate the paranormal. Awesome words of words of wisdom as always, man. And uh, with that, also anybody that's enjoyed this conversation, they want to come find all of your work that you've referenced, all the different things that you do. Uh, where can they find your books, and where can they find you at? Yeah, you can find all of my stuff at chazofthedead.com. You can find me on all of the social medias at Chaz of the Dead. I do fun TikToks and Instagram and all that shit. So go check that out. Um, and then uh, check out Paranormality Magazine. Um, I'm writing over there every month, and we're doing all kinds of cool projects, um, some outreach work, and uh, covering some stuff and voices and people in the paranormal that are uh, normally overlooked. So I think. Uh, if you're looking for some fresh paranormal content, you're tired of reading about Betty and Barney Hill for the fucking 90th time, <laughs> come over to Paranormality Magazine. Catch some, uh, catch some new paranormal information. So check those guys out. Well, I appreciate you making the time and to come on. Me on. I appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. And I'm really looking forward to the next time I get to, ha- get to have you on the show. Of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to uh, leave a rating on Spotify or to leave a review on iTunes. It definitely helps the show to grow. Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can get a hold of me at inquiriesallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, you can shoot me a message on Instagram or you can go to the link tree and fill out the submission form and that'll go directly to my email. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, make sure that nothing gets lost in your spam or junk folders and keep an eye out for a response from me because I do respond to every single one of you guys that spends takes the time to type me out and send me an email. Uh, everything that I mentioned, all available under the link tree, which is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. credit card bill.